Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Inspired by the mission 7 Billion Fulfilled People, I tracked down the greatest thought leaders on the planet and interviewed them about happiness and fulfillment. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Dennis McKenna. Dennis is an ethnopharmacologist, author and founder of Symbio Life Sciences. He has dedicated his career to the study of hallucinogens and psychedelics and is a founding board member of the Hefter Research Institute, a non-profit organization dedicated to investigating therapeutic uses of psychedelic medicines. He has conducted extensive ethnobotanical fieldwork in the Peruvian, Colombian and Brazilian Amazon and has recently completed a four-year project investigating Amazonian ethnomedicines as potential treatments for cognitive disorders in schizophrenia. Dennis and his late brother Terence McKenna are considered pioneers among plant medicine scholars. So it is a huge, huge honour. I've wanted to get Dennis on the show for absolutely ages. So thank you so much for saying yes and I'm really looking forward to this chat. Thank you, Duncan. It's a pleasure to be here. Our brains are programmed to kind of filter stuff out, but psychedelics can actually temporarily disrupt that and actually let the, I think it was described as like, let the background come forward. Can you maybe just explain that a bit more and maybe give some examples? That's right. The brain, in a way, it synthesizes a reality. We don't live in the real world. We live in a model of reality. And that's a, that's uh, an artificial, a hallucination, if you will, that our brains construct taking in information from the outside through our sensory neural interfaces, you know, our eyes and ears and other senses, taking information. And a lot of what the brain does is is filter information because if, if everything that impinges on our senses came through, it would just be a blooming, buzzing confusion. You know, we'd be completely com- – completely discombobulated. So the brain is very selective about what it lets in. And in neuroscience, this is actually called gating. It's called sensory gating. And uh, the brain selectively lets things in, and then it processes it through the neocortex, the younger part of the brain, through uh, associations you know, memories, maybe a fragment of memory, something you saw on TV last week, a song you heard 20 years ago, uh, you know, all of this stuff is a big mishmash in your brain. But the brain takes what it processes from outside, it mixes it with all this association, and somehow it turns it into a product that makes sense, sort of, right? I mean, that's the model of the world that you inhabit. That's the hallucination that you create. You know, you're the director, star, and and writer of your own movie. And that's the movie that you're living that we call ordinary consciousness. You know, and there really is no such thing as ordinary consciousness. Uh, I mean, the fact that there's consciousness at all is not ordinary, but there's no... I mean, people make a distinction. Well, you're not on drugs, so, you know, you're in ordinary consciousness, right? But in fact, you are on drugs. We're all on drugs every minute of the day because we're made out of drugs. We're we're biochemical engines that run on drugs. Neurotransmitters, hormones, enzymes, all these molecules and organisms that mediate communication those are drugs. Essentially, you, you extract serotonin out of the brain 
or dopamine or one of these things, which you can do if you injected that, it would be considered a drug and probably made illegal. <laughs> so it's and, and they've done this. Well, DMT is a good example, dimethyltryptamine. I mean, it is a natural component of the human brain. Um, everybody has it. What its functions are in the brain, we're not so sure, but we know that if you if you smoke it as a drug, it's a powerful, very short-acting uh, psychedelic. And, and, you know, the brain naturally makes it. So we all need to go down to the local police station and turn ourselves in for possessing a controlled substance, you know, because it's in our brains. <laughs> Is this tied in with this idea? Because um, I've heard you reference um, Simon Powell in his book, The Magic Mushroom Explorer, describes psilocybin as, as a lens. Um, yes. is this, is this tied together? Like, or why, why does he call it a lens? What's that about? Yeah. I love Simon Powell. I so love, uh, that's great that you know his work. Yeah. I am a real Simon Powell fan and he writes very intelligently about psilocybin. And one of the points he makes, I think it's really important is that it is a lens. All of these things are lenses for examining both the inner world and the outer world from a slightly different perspective, sometimes a profoundly different perspective. So they provide, you know, we develop habits and we develop habitual ways of uh, apprehending the world and interpreting what we, what we experience and so on. Psychedelics temporarily disrupt that and they, they enable you to look at things in a fresh way. Uh, that and notice things even about external phenomena. And this is the point Simon makes that I think is really important. They are actually scientific instruments in a certain way because they give you an opportunity to examine things going on outside, outside your you know inner state, uh, and and notice things about them that you normally wouldn't notice. This is the thing about bringing the background forward. Mm. This is part of this sensory gating uh, operation that the brain does. It's convenient to push most things into the background, and only a few things are gathering your attention. It's it's the things that are relevant to what's immediately going on. You know, <clears throat> you have to be paying attention. Specifically, survival, I guess. Like, you know, if if if, if yeah, survival, well, uh, yeah, we're going to take notice. If we can't, then yeah. They, Tigers coming after you. You want your attention on that, yeah. you know, not what the leaf cutter ants are doing. But you, know, <laughs> you don't have to so beautiful. <laughs> notice things that you normally don't. And this gating is interesting. I mean, you can be in a noisy restaurant, for example, and you know you're trying to to uh, filter out the conversation all around you so you can focus on what's being said at the table. But if someone at the next table or a couple tables over says your name, immediately yeah. your ears prick up and you hear it straight away. Who's talking about me and what are they saying? You know, so it's very useful, but a lot of times it's not relevant to your immediate survival. And if you can temporarily disable it, then you notice a lot of things in going on in the environment that you're sort of programmed to ignore. Mm. 
and you can see this very much if you if you go into nature with a, a an indigenous person or i would dare say a child you know because childs don't children don't have this conditioning either they're like totally open they're like on acid all the time you know they're they're completely open they don't have these filtering mechanisms and uh if you go with an indigenous person who spends all his time or her time in nature living close to nature that person is going to notice many more things about the environment that you that you're not aware of until they're pointed out you know so these psychedelics are in part tools for training perception in a certain way and, you know and and that that in that sense they're lenses you know and then you can turn the lenses around and you can look on the inside and see what's going on in there with your inner state. And of course we have to remember inside, outside, these are all meaningless terms, right? There is no inside. There is no outside. There is no separation between you and the rest of the world. These are all constructs, this hallucination that you've created. Western culture, like no longer really have traditional rites of passage. Like why is that, problematic in your opinion that there why is it problematic that there are no uh rites of passage in our yeah. culture is that what you're saying yeah, absolutely well i i think that's just uh you know that's part of it uh, you know uh, i think that in general our culture is toxic our culture goes out of its way to um essentially to profane everything you know uh i think i think part of the the cultural crisis of our times is that people long for meaning they long for meaningful experiences yeah. memorable experiences again that's why psychedelics are so important you know because they are one of the they're a way to trigger these intensely personal, meaningful experiences, like mystical experiences, like anything that's significant in your life. And that's kind of one of the uh, functions that rites of passage fulfill. You know, you remember that. Just like you remember the first time you kissed a girl. You remember the first time you made love. You remember, you know, these things stick to our memory. And they're, you know, they're unique in that nobody can do that for you. You know, you can't, you can't hire somebody to kiss a girl for the first time. And maybe someday that'll be possible, but I hope not. I hope not. Because that's like giving up this, you know, right to our, our very own personal, unique experience. And, and this is what I really think is important about psychedelics they're they're nothing if not personal you know no one can have your trip for you and no one can tell they can tell you all sorts of things about what they think it means and and you know they may be they may have a point they may be full of shit you just don't know but you know what it means yeah. and i think that as a culture we long for these meaningful experiences and we've gone we've gone out of our way to make sure that people don't have them, you know, uh, and this is the problem with religion. You know, religion is supposed to be a, you know, a conduit 
to spirituality of meaningful experiences, but the the organized religions are set up to make sure you never get near an actual mis- mystical experience. I mean, that's the most terrifying thing in the world to them is that someone should actually directly contact the divine. You know, they have a whole infrastructure of uh, hierarchies of priests and so on. You know, I mean, you're supposed to go through the channels if you want to connect with God, you know, and this this going around that and, and uh, taking, uh, you know, taking a substance and going out in nature. I mean, that is strictly forbidden, you know. Um, so I think I think that's the problem with rites of passage and, or that is we don't have them. And, and you know, our, our educational institutions are not set up to encourage it and uh i think it's a pity i I mean you gotta take some risks sometimes you have to push the envelope a little bit when you when you look on turn the news any day of the week and you see it could be it could be anything all these moments of crisis be it a a shooting be it anything um do you feel that those are symptoms of i think it was the, the, the spiritual emptiness of our culture and actually psychedelics could be the antidote to that because I guess it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a lack of, we talk, something on the, on the show that we talk about quite a lot is connection. And one form of that is obviously in terms of your, like your, your social life, in terms of your relationships, but actually a deeper connection to nature, connection, connection to something bigger, higher, feeling like you're a part of something, you're part of one big sort of global family. I know that sounds a little bit sort of tree huggery, a little bit hippie, but actually we are all kind of, part of this 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 global family and maybe psychedelics is is one thing that becomes uh a common a common thing you hear again and again and again everyone has different experiences like you said but this whole idea of connection like the interconnectivity of everything how you're part of something bigger that's a common narrative which comes up again and again and again isn't it very much so and and i think it's important to be able to step out of your reference frame temporarily. I mean, we get so wound up in ourselves, you know, and we tend to think we're important. And this is, this is particularly in the West. I mean, this attitude has poisoned Western culture and what it's led to, particularly as delivered through the organized religions. Psychedelics are in a sense, the antidote to religion because religions are very much invested in telling you what to think. And psychedelics are, are encourage the opposite. They encourage you to think for yourself. You know, I often say, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I'm a terrible attacker of organized religions because I, I don't view them as spiritually useful. They're actually ways to, pre- they're, they're methods to keep people from thinking for themselves. So they're nothing more than bludgeons, behavioral bludgeons to keep people in line, just like many of our other institutions. They're no better. They've kind of abandoned their their original mission, you know, and, and we are called upon to have faith by religion. You know, you must have faith, my son, right? Which generally means you must believe in a bunch of stuff that for which there's no evidence, you know, and if you don't believe it, then you're a heretic. You don't have faith. And psychedelics, the beautiful thing about psychedelics, they don't require faith. 
you know, what they require. I mean, the, you can be as skeptical as you want. In fact, skepticism, skepticism is encouraged. What they require is courage, enough courage to sit down and drink the cup, smoke the pipe, whatever it is, and then open yourself up to whatever that chemical messenger or that plant teacher or whatever has to to tell you. You know, there is a communication that goes on and you don't have to believe it. You don't, it's better if you don't and then, then you have it. And then like anything else, like any numinous spiritual experience or any impactful experience, there are going to be plenty of people who are ready to tell you what it's supposed to mean, right? <laughs> How you're supposed to interpret this. And psychedelic people are no as guilty as this of anybody. There's usually somebody that's like, I'm the wise guy, I'm the I'm the guru, I'm the shaman, and I can interpret this for you. Within limits, that's fine. But you have to give people you have to have enough confidence in people that well, they have a brain, they can figure this out. You know, and it encourages you to use your brain and it, it puts you in touch with experiences that are very hard to explain sometimes. And yeah, you can you can read books or you can talk to people about what does this mean. The important thing is that you don't just accept it. You know, you can take it in and say, well, yeah, that seems to make sense. And what this guy over here is saying doesn't make so much sense. But it's up to you to evaluate these experiences, you know, just like you evaluate everything that's meaningful in your life. And I think that's what psychedelics teach you, you know. And they teach you a lot of things. They teach you, number one, that you don't know so much, you know. They really make you uh, sort of aware of the limitations of our knowledge, how little we know. And they teach you about this connection to everything, all every other being and everything in the universe. These, these, uh, you know, these these habits that we develop that that you know there are barriers, there are boundaries. That's an illusion, really. I mean, we really are all one, you know, and uh, that's a profound appreciation if you can internalize that. You know, and, and then the other thing I think it teaches you, the fact that we do know so little, it also encourages humility. It encourages, you know, a certain, essentially, uh, it, it discourages arrogance because it shoves right into your face how little we really know. And, uh, and that's a good thing. You've, you've been you've been taking psychedelics for almost I think it's it's fifty years now r roughly. Um, why do you still why why is it not been like wow that was lovely I've learned lots what what keeps you coming back why are you still exploring? You used the word teacher, so I don't know if that was a hint. Well, yeah, well I still they're still teaching. You know, I'm still learning, um, and I figure that will never end because there's an infinite amount to learn and compared to what little I know and, and psychedelics always remind me what little I know and I enjoy uh, learning and, and the learning doesn't stop. It's sort of like they really are a teacher and there is this, there are these two 
sort of perspectives. I mean, one is like, okay, someone, I think it was Ram Das who said, you know, once you get the message, hang up the phone, right? I totally disagree with that in a certain way because, number one, this is not an answering machine. You know, this is a this is a wise being that you're communicating with, whether it's a part of, you know, yourself or something external. We can discuss that, but actually, it doesn't even matter, really, does it? I mean, it doesn't matter as long as the information is coming seems valuable. And if you have a valuable teacher, if you have a mentor or someone that you look up to and respect, you're not going to say, "Okay, Doc, you." You know, I pretty much learned everything you have to tell me, so see you later. We don't have to be in touch. I mean, that's very disrespectful. And it's also, um, it's, 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 uh, it's disrespectful to yourself because you're saying there's nothing more to learn here, you know, and, uh, and so who knows what you're missing if you go come away from it. I'm not saying everybody, has to do it for the rest of their lives. Um, they, some people may decide to quit, and that's perfectly okay. You know, um, myself, I like to stay engaged with it because, like I say, I'm still learning, and I also think it's good for me. You know, I think it's actually psychedelics are good for the brain and good for the body, basically, uh, especially something like ayahuasca. You know, there's tremendous uh, amount of interesting information coming out now about how these things increase connectivity between different parts of the brain and, uh, you know, and, and even maybe stave off dementia and Alzheimer's. They, there's pretty good evidence that constituents in, in uh, ayahuasca, for example, can stimulate neurogenesis, which is growth of new nerve cells. And even if it doesn't generate new neurons, it certainly generates new connections. So it keeps us young in that sense. You know, it keeps us from, you know, I think a lot of part, a big part of getting old on the psychological side, on the mental side is you just reach a point where, uh, you know, you're not open to new experiences. You're comfortable in your habits and uh, you pretty much have closed off chances to learn and discover things. One interesting way um, I heard it being described was um, Terence described how psychedelics allow you to triangulate upon reality. So if all we have um, is awake or asleep, then that's it, awake or asleep, then we can't go that far. But if we have awake, asleep, and say LSD or DMT as points then we can build a much more dimensionally rich model of consciousness. What's that about? That they, they let you step out of your reference frame. You know, and we have a reference frame, which is usually asleep, awake, or somewhere in between those things. Uh, and yeah, psychedelics let you, uh, it's almost as though you can step out of that and maybe above that in a certain way. It's as though you're looking at it from 30,000 feet. You see things about it that you're normally, because you're boxed inside it, you don't, you're not aware of, mm -hmm. you know, but you can step outside it. And then every psychedelic is a little different. So you can, you know, these other perspectives that they 
create, you can put down data points. You know, I mean, the data point for LSD is not the same as the data point for ayahuasca or psilocybin. There are similarities. You know, it's all part of the same universe in a certain sense. And, and neurologically, it's part of the same universe because the same sets of receptors and so on are involved. Uh, but it's not ordinary consciousness. And, and the more data points you put down, the wider your perspective becomes, you know, within limits. I mean, I am not, I am not really a psychonaut. I am not one of these people that feels like, you know, I have to try every new designer drug that comes down the pike. Uh, some people do and more power to them. We need people to explore that. I don't do that. I like the, uh, I, I tend to stick with the plant teachers. I stick with the plants or natural substances and, you know, mushrooms and, uh, ayahuasca are kind of my main teachers, you know, occasionally LSD and, uh, I'm still learning a lot from them. So I don't need to try, uh, you know, for transmethyl hydroxy, whatever. I mean, I mean, it's good that people are working with this, but that's not me. What do you feel are the main dangers that people should be aware of? So if anyone's listening to this and they're like, that sounds fascinating. I want to explore some of these more, um, apart from the obvious things about, you know, obviously being in, a setting and you know an environment which is safe and conducive and especially if there's you know either you've got like a sitter who has got experience with it like those are some of the obvious things what 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 other things that people maybe you want to just tell them to be like maybe cautious of well uh, yeah uh, the, the obvious things you know pay attention to set the setting uh, I really discourage mixing these things. Some people like to do that, but I think that on the safety issue, safety side, it's not, it depends on what you're mis mixing, but I think that's more risky. And it also sort of disrespects the medicine in a certain way. If you're going to take ayahuasca, let it be ayahuasca. Don't take mushrooms along with it or LSD along with it. Give each medicine its space you know, and respect it in that way, and that also avoids interactions. That's one thing. Um, and then go go at it from an informed point of view. You know, uh, the psychedelics are really very safe in terms of, uh, you know, their dose and their potential to interact. Uh, but, you know, they're, uh, I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't, use them stupidly you know it's good to know about dose um you know i mean people's idiocy has no bounds you know and there are foolish people out there that just don't know what they're doing and they've not bothered to do their homework so do your homework i think arrowhead.org which you probably know about is a yeah. great resource for this these people are really good and if you're going to take a drug that you've never taken before, go on arrowwood.org and see what, see what other people have said about it. See what the parameters are. So educate yourself. Um, if you're going to take ayahuasca, make sure that, you know, ayahuasca is the one that this comes up with mostly, but make sure that 
your nothing you're on is going to interact with monoamine oxidase inhibitors. That can be a real problem. Um, so have an idea about, you know, if you're on SSRIs or any of that kind of thing, you really should not take ayahuasca until you've gone off it for at least three weeks because um, there's a potential for an interaction there. Um, and then I, I guess, you know, this is all really about pharmacology and safety and, you know, the actual potential for physical harm from the substance. Um, but then the other side of it is, um, be, you know, these things, you don't, how to put it, the information you get from the psychedelic state is not necessarily good information. You know, these, these things can be tricksters sometimes. So in evaluating the download, that you're getting, uh, you know, don't just accept it without uncritically, uh, you know, if a wild, crazy idea comes to you, like, you know, if I make a certain sound, I can collapse the space time continuum. I have a certain <laughs> book that I can recommend to you, <laughs> you know, Hey, wait till the next day and see if that still sounds like a good idea. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you can get into some very delusional states, and uh, you know, you do need a reality check at some point, and you know, uh, and that's that's just common sense, you know. So being able to um, when these things come and it just seems overwhelming, being able to find your center and, you know, be in that center while the winds are raging around you is a very useful skill. And if you can just, you know, learn to calm down and sort of in, don't reject, enjoy, enjoy the funny ideas. Terrence used to talk about how psychedelics, made you have funny ideas, which was one thing they were interested. Funny ideas are inherently dangerous as well as interesting, but you have to apply a, a filter of common sense and, and, you know, analytical thinking to some of the funny ideas that come up with psychedelics. So that is potentially a danger. What's this is a bit of a random question, a bit of a um, uh, detour. What's your thoughts on the advancements of VR and virtual reality? This ties into addiction, I guess. But like, do you know, be a sense of like escapism where people wanting to live in alternate worlds rather than deal with like the problems in their own lives. And this is already going on. We don't we don't need VR to appreciate how distracted we are. I mean, the, the culture is just chock full of things that are trying to grab your attention. VR is just another another iteration of that, you know, and it's interesting how, you know, these new technologies that come along, these new entertainment technologies, the videotape, the, the, you know, VR, uh, all of these things. I mean, it seems that pornography is always at the cutting edge of these things because people seek that out, I suppose. And, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see where, you know, VR pornography goes. I mean, probably not to some 
very healthy places. You know what? There's a, there's a fascinating documentary on um, on Channel Four. I think it's on four four OD or on on Channel Four in in the UK um, called "The Sex Robots Are Coming," uh, and it's about like this rise of a like artificial intelligence, like sex, pornography, and it's it's extraordinary. Like I was I was just like just watching it and just like thinking like what on earth? But like it's it's you, you see like films like. Um, her um with whacking felix yeah. and these other films and extraordinary but of course we're that's exactly where that's exactly where like we're going <laughs> it seems so yeah have you seen ex machina i haven't seen i've seen i've seen the trailer i haven't seen it that one you've got to see that one i mean her is also very interesting but ex machina is is kind of all about this well it's it's just an amazing movie about artificial intelligence and and uh you know this avatar that this guy has created is a very beautiful robot you know and very sexy and all that and and also uh, completely without any uh morals or or ethics <laughs> in the way we understand that so it, it gets into some interesting places yeah i don't know i mean that's certainly ha- certainly going to happen and uh Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it'll cut down on overpopulation or something or, you know, but uh, I would be interested in, in watching that show because this is clearly where it's going to go. Yeah. Because I was, um, I was actually t- talking to a friend about this and I was saying like, say like even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, you know, it was almost like the the idea of even like internet dating was like, well, like you know, it seemed like creepy. And now, like everyone, kind of like not everyone, but like loads of people seem to like like Tinder, Bumble, all these have happened. All these like dating apps, and now it's become normalized. And so now, like watching these documentaries, like on Channel Four, the ones I was just describing, and it seems like that's now like that's super creepy. But then, like I don't know, another fifteen, twenty years would that then be the new norm? And so it's like it's that constant, like where on earth, like where, where what's happening? No, <laughs> so it's it's kind of a sad commentary in a certain way, like the internet dating. Now it's accepted, yeah, but it's accepted in part because look how much more isolated we've become from each other. You know, you can't really. There are not opportunities to connect with other people in a genuine way. Now, or you know, I mean, you can go to a bar, you can try to pick somebody up, and you you can do that. But but now, like the, I mean, I'm glad I'm old in some ways. I don't have to do this stuff, you know. And I I've been happily married for 38 years. So, but young people have this this issue that everyone wants to reach out and. I think the internet dating thing, that's just a way of trying to bring people together in, in a, in a world where we're all kind of alone. It's, it's ironic. We have more ways to communicate with each other than ever before. And yet we're more isolated than ever before. And, uh, and again, I think that's partly, that's just the way society is structured, but, but things like psychedelics, again, in group settings, things like MDMA and so on, that's something that's a benefit that people get out of it, that it is a heart opening thing and uh, it can help people connect. You know, alienation is kind of the key word of our times. And, uh, 
alienation from ourselves, alienation from each other, and importantly, I think, alienation from nature. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? That's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> a, a, a fulfilled life is a life where um, I said yes a lot as things came up. It's a life where I said yes to things. And I'm not, you know, I'm as scared as anybody sometimes, but sometimes, God damn it, you just have to say yes. So that's a big one. That, and I feel like I've achieved that in the sense that I've been blessed. I've had a very interesting life. I have not spent my life in a cubicle, you know, and I realize what a blessing that is. Some people have to. So that's good. I, and I guess the other thing, if I can look back and say, well, I, I was a good influence. I inspired some people and I didn't hurt anybody too badly. That's good enough. And what is one thing our listeners can start doing today that will have a positive impact on their lives? Think for yourself. Just think for yourself and believe in yourself. If you have to have faith, have faith in yourself. Pretty much don't have faith in anything else. You know, just use your mind to think for yourself. That's what it's there for. And make of life what you will whatever comes your way make of it what you will and don't don't be a follower be or necessarily even a leader be a thinker you know be a thinker use your head last but not least how can people find out more about you your work um you sent me during the conversation you sent me a couple of links in skype so i'm going to put that those up and i'm going to put them underneath the interview if you go over to spiritpig.com all the links that um dennis sent me will be there but anything else anywhere else you'd like us to send everyone well look at hefter.org i spelled it right the second time h-e-f-f-t-e-r that's like maps.org it's doing a lot of work to advance the science and the and the medical uses of psychedelics. Look at uh, my retreats. If anybody's interested uh, in going to ayahuasca retreats, I do them about twice a year. So that's the one, symbiolifesciences.com slash event. And what else? Well, the ESPD 50 has kind of consumed my life this last year. So uh, you can look at, if you want to order a, pre-order a, a copy of the volume you can do that dennis thank you so much for sharing your thoughts your ideas teaching us some new stuff we really appreciate it well it's been a real pleasure you're a great interviewer and this has been a lot of fun 